0: You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 41. Well, welcome to Little Green Cheese podcast. I'm Gavin Webber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Now, it's been a long time in between episodes, and I apologize profusely for that. This episode is going to be chock a block full of information about cheese making at home, as it is always. Um, but first of all, before I start, I'd just like to say um, thank you to a guy who reached out to me, Kale Roberts, from Mother Earth News over in the US. And Mother Earth News. Is one of the biggest um, sustainable living websites, well, I suppose in the world, it's pretty close to it anyway. And he invited me to blog about cheese making over at Mother Earth News Blog. Uh, currently, I'm blogging in the real food section. So thanks to Kale uh, for reaching out and uh, thinking the world about uh, my uh, cheese podcast and cheese video tutorials and the the blog Little Green Cheese. So that was really exciting news Uh, and I have uh, two blog posts up at the moment while I'm waiting for the second one to go up uh, which is all about uh, making feta cheese which is uh, one of my favourites for the summertime for popping into salads and stuff like that. Anyway, let's get on with the show. So we're going to be talking about cheese classifications uh, today just for everybody out there who doesn't quite understand the different types of cheeses and how they're made. So they're split into, I think it's about five different classifications, maybe maybe six. We'll see how we go. So the first one is um, fresh, unripened cheese, and these are usually termed soft cheeses. Now, these are made straight from cow, goat or, or ewes milk or sheep's milk, uh, and they're very simple cheeses. They're made to be eaten just about straight away. So usually they, they're they made using um, acid, uh, acid coagulation, so they don't need very much rennet um, or any rennet at all in some cases. So some cheeses I can think of are things like uh, cream cheese, which is a lactic fermented um, cheese, a soft cheese. sherve which is a goat's milk cheese, it uses a little bit of rennet so basically, that's a that's un uh, sorry fresh unripened cheese. So it doesn't need much manipulation. Usually, is the curds are drained, and uh, and they're eaten fairly well straight away. So uh, that's a soft cheese or or a, a fresh unripened cheese. So the next one is um, rennet coagulated fresh cheese. So these are cheeses mainly um, of European origin. So they're made with um, pasteurised and unpasteurized milk, and th- they usually don't have a lot of of flavour or additional flavour, and they have a fairly high pH level. So cheeses in this kind of category could be um, queso blanco, or which um, or queso fresco, which I've made and I've made a video tutorial on that. And they don't have a very long shelf life, so I wouldn't keep them any longer than, say, two weeks. And, uh, yeah, you just got to make sure that they don't get contaminated by bacteria. So um, you keep them at, uh, at four degrees Celsius after you've made these cheeses. So these are rennet coagulated fresh cheeses. Uh, the other type of cheeses, are, um, so the third type is soft-ripened cheeses. So these are things um, which you could call... Um, Uh, mold ripened cheeses as well so some do use mold so these are cheeses like uh, camembert um, brie blue cheeses um, feta and they are a mixture of um, so you can use rennet or acid in the coagulation so they use various types of starter culture and they do need a little bit of acidity they're not as acid They're not as high in pH as rennet coagulated fresh cheeses. So um, often they're hooped or put into containers. Um, Rarely are they pressed. So um, that's soft ripened cheeses. So they have a a quite high moisture level as well uh, in these cheeses. And the shelf life depends on the cheese, obviously. Um, But the higher the fat content, the longer it can be stored or matured along the shelf life. Uh, then we move on to washed cheeses. So these are things like Gouda, Edam, Havarti. Um, I'd probably even put Colby maybe in this in this category. It's a, a semi-washed cheese as well. So these are cheeses that the curd is washed with um, and it uh, inhibits lactic development or lactic acid development during the process. Therefore you get a softer texture and you also get a lot milder flavor, um, so it also controls some of the moisture content cheese, which is good, and the uh, cheese is usually cooked between thirty two and thirty five degrees Celsius, which is ninety to ninety five Fahrenheit for uh, those non metric types, so they have a fairly high moisture content as well, so and, uh, and they do uh, mature well and they off, most often need to be waxed as well. So they're, they're pressed cheeses as well. You need to press them. But uh, like I said, the lactic acid development is inhibited due to washing the curds with, with water during the cheesemaking process. So uh, the next category is hard cheeses. So hard cheeses, uh, they're cooked and uh, consumed, a fairly long ripening period. So cheeses in this group uh things like cheddar, monterey jack, brick, uh colby, um even though I would classify colby as a as a washed curd cheese, uh romano, uh El gruyere, um uh, probably even throw in morbier, uh at raclette. Um those cheeses are pressed cheeses and they require a fair bit more time to mature than the um, the semi-hard washed and the and the soft curd cheeses as well. And generally don't need too much more handling than the other types of cheeses. They just need to mature a lot longer and at a constant che- uh, temperature. You know, there there are some cheddars that are, you know, can be stored um, and matured for up to 10 years, and that's a long time for the flavour to develop. So there is differences in these hard cheeses. Some of the hard cheeses... Uh, are cooked at temperatures lower than 40 degrees Celsius, which is 102 Fahrenheit. So they're things like uh, Cheddar's, Colby's, uh, that sort of thing. I can think of um, uh, Caffilli, that's a low one as well. And then there's the cheeses that are cooked above 40 degrees Celsius, which use a thermophilature. Um, So cheeses like any of the Swiss cheeses or Italian cheeses like Parmesan, Romano, uh, any Swiss-type cheeses like uh, Emmental they kind of two groups within that one group. Um, they use uh, a different starter culture, as I mentioned, so the ones below 40 degrees are pro- predominantly mesophilic, and the uh, the latter group, which is the ones above 40 degrees Celsius, use a thermophilic culture. So the last type I'll talk about is um, whey cheeses. So whey cheeses kind of are in a category of their own. So things like ricotta, is a, a whey cheese or we basically do or a paneer is another type of whey cheese so you add acid to the milk in the form of either lemon juice or citric acid um, or vine- white vinegar in some cases if you want a, a harder sort of cheese so you can find that the milk will coagulate using acid, That's not the milk, the whey so the whey still holds a fair bit of protein in it and by adding um, extra acid it will All those proteins out, and it'll coagulate into cheese. Now, with ricotta, you can also press ricotta as well, and it turns into ricotta salada, which you can age. Um, It's a quite bland cheese, but you can use it for grating and uh, grate it over pasta and stuff like that. Uh, Not much to it, basically, it's the leftover whey, as I said. And I do have a video tutorial on how to make uh, whey ricotta as well, so check that out. I'll put that into the show notes. So they're the different types of classifications for cheese. Now, I won't go much further than that. I actually do have another section for the next show. Um, we'll be talking about um, classification based on the, based on the maturing process and there's there's basically only four types of those and, uh, and we'll have a chat about those in the next episode. So I did get those classifications from a pretty good book, which is called The Cheesemaker's Manual, and is written by Margaret Peter Morris. Um, it's available online, and it's uh, it's published by Glengarry Cheesemaking Incorporated. I think it's Canadian. And, uh, yeah, they're fairly consistent classifications that i found throughout the, the internet. And, uh, yeah, so pretty good book. If you want to read further about those classifications, then uh, do yourself a favour and pick up a copy of that. Um, it's a fairly comprehensive book. Uh, it goes into a little bit more technical detail than I would normally use for a um, for making home cheese. It talks um, heavily about the different pH levels in the recipes that it has in the book. But uh, no, it's a pretty good book, so um, check that out. That's the uh, Cheesemaker's Manual by Margaret Peters Morris. Uh, and it's a Canadian publication. So now it's time for the news. So we have an interesting snippet this week, and I have discovered that Firefly Farms, which are producers of handmade cheeses in Maryland, USA, are... Um, are now running their entire cheese production off of solar power in the form of a 27.72 kilowatt solar array, um, and that's on top of its uh, cheese production building. <laughs> um, so they're in, um uh, where is it, Garrett County, Maryland. I'll just read a little bit about it here. It comes out of, uh where is this, prweb.com releases. I don't quite know how I found that, but it just happened. Um, it says the completion of this important renewable energy project reflects our corporate commitment to sustainability remarked Firefly Farms Board President Michael Koch. We're thrilled that our cheese making operations are now powered by the Garrett County Sunshine. We share our customers' commitment to the local economy and the sustainable use of our resor- natural resources and agricultural assets. So it nearly took... Two years to install this. So it says uh, the Firefly Farm Solar Project, nearly two years in the making, resulted from impressive local collaboration, structural roof reinforcements, um, a new metal roof by general contract, a general ca- contractor, and solar energy engineering and equipment by Tri-State Wind and Solar. So pretty impressive that the uh, entire farm's operations are now run off of solar PV, and that's something. Dear to my heart. Um, you can read about uh, my solar PV installation over on the Greening of Gavin blog. And we've had solar PV here at home uh, since 2007. Uh, and we mainly use most of the electricity we generate here. And we do export a little bit back into the grid. We're grid connected. So a bit of a segue from cheese making. But I thought it was quite interesting that even cheese making companies are going solar in the form of renewable energy, which is fantastic. Well done to the Firefly Farms in Garrett County, Maryland. So that brings us to question time. I'll answer a couple of questions in this episode. I don't want to keep it too long um, because uh, I want to make sure that I can get through um, as many as I can here. Now this one is from, it's an email from Rita, and Rita comes from Las Vegas in Nevada. So it says, Hi Gavin, following your video on Kofili cheese, I came up with a few questions. It says the milk is brought up to 32 degrees Celsius, calcium chloride is added, followed by the mesophilic direct set culture. Now the question is the milk removed from the back of the double boiler setup and left to rest off the heat source? Uh, and then turned on top of the boiler, returned, and brought back up to 32 degrees Celsius. All right, I'll answer that question first. There's a couple of questions here, so I should have read ahead. Yeah, what we do is we turn the heat off. So once we get the milk up to the target temperature, and we've added our direct set culture, the milk usually holds its temperature for that period. All I do is turn the heat off, I let it sit on the double boiler, um, and a little bit of steam comes off that, it doesn't heat the milk any further. The mass of milk actually stores its heat quite well, um, so just make sure that stovetop is turned off at that period. Okay, on to the next question. It says, once rennet has been added, is it removed from the top of the double boiler setup and allowed to sit for the 40 minutes? Well, then once again, all I do is turn the heat source off. I let it sit on top of the double boiler, and that keeps it warm. It doesn't heat it up any further than that. So, uh, so that's what I do, I make sure that during those two long wait periods um, when making confilli cheese, I think it's uh, 45 minutes for each for the acidification and then 45 minutes for the uh, the renneting or the coagulation of the cheese um, just make sure your heat source is turned off uh, and it'll stay at the target temperature, plus or minus 2 or 3 degrees um, of uh, 32 degrees Celsius. So I um, hope that helps. Rita goes on to say, my first attempt didn't do so bad. I'm at the second stage pressing and hopeful hopeful for a successful Kafili. She also goes on to mention that she loves the video tutorials and she wishes she could take a class with us, um, but unfortunately she's over in Las Vegas. She says, you are the best instructor. <laughs> That's fabulous. Thank you, Rita. Um, I really appreciate all those kind words and hopefully I've answered your questions there. Uh, The next question is from Kurt, and I'm not too sure where Kurt's from. He says, Gavin, I noticed your cheese-making pot is enameled. Would it be okay to use stainless steel instead, Kurt? Well, Kurt, um, I, I have a couple of choices, but my preference actually is stainless steel when I can get a big enough pot. You might have noticed in some of those cheese making video tutorials, I do use an enamel pot and that's fine as long as the enamel's not chipped and the there's no rust um, coming through. Um, that, that is okay. Stainless steel is the best option uh, as long as there's no rust on it as well and uh, as long as it's sanitised. At a pinch you could use glass, but glass tends to retain too much heat um, if you've got a thick glass pot. Uh, one of the one of the pots you should never use is aluminium because what it does as the milk heats up in aluminium it imparts a metallic taste to the milk. Um, so avoid aluminium at uh, at all costs. That's my only caveat there for using different types of cheese making pots. So the next question is from Tammy. So Tammy says. Uh, I just bought the Kindle version of your book. Um, I love the variation of recipes. I've been making cheese for a few months, but I cannot make the 30-minute mozzarella. I have no problem with any other cheeses. Your recipe is a little bit different than the couple I have tried, so so I tried it to see if I worked. When I added liquid rennet and stirred for about 20 seconds, it totally curdles into rice-sized curds. Every recipe I have tried does this. But once I left the stove, left it on the stove, I've never done that before, and heated the curds to 105 Fahrenheit, undisturbed, it actually tried coagulating again and was squeaky when I drained off the way. It made a ball, a clean ball in the cheesecloth, so I was excited as I had to burn the other cloths mentioned because they were so clogged with mushy curd. Once I microwave the curds, they turned into liquid. The uh, the more I microwaved it, the more liquid it became, and down the drain it went. Uh, what's going on? Oh, sorry. What's going, Ron? Thanks in advance to any clues you may have for the problem. Tammy, Tammy from Canada. Well, Tammy, what I find is that because in the recipe that I use, it um, it has it calls for lipase, and lipase actually adds a lot of flavour to the finished mozzarella. I actually add half a rennet tablet. So half a rennet tablet is a fairly heavy dose of rennet to get it to coagulate and to get it to stretch properly. Um, You've got to make sure that uh, you've added the right amount of uh, citric acid uh, because the acidity in the milk is actually what helps it stretch um, and, and not break down when you microwave it. So hopefully you put that in you didn't mention that anywhere. Uh, so, um, I use, uh, as I mentioned, I use the rennet tablet. Liquid rennet a little bit more troublesome, I think, when making um, a mozzarella. Uh, so, when using the rennet tablet, you're actually over renneting the cheese when you make uh, when you make mozzarella. So, half a rennet tablet actually can coagulate 25 litres of milk, and it's a pretty high dose. So, if you can get your hands on some. Some rennet tablets, um, especially I think it's uh, every tablet is the strength for 50 litres of milk. Um, they're, fa- they're fairly readily available, so just um, see if you can find those. Uh, I've got some over on um, littlegreenworkshops.com.au, uh, but uh, you won't be able to buy those, but at least you'll be able to see what I'm talking about uh, if you go and have a look at that. So, yeah, so I think that's where you've uh, come unstuck. Make sure that you, because of the lipase, it actually has a tend to make curds mushy like that. You have to overren it, the, the cheese. So hopefully that helps and uh, you'll be on your way to making a nice quick 30-minute mozzarella over there in Canada. Thanks, Tammy. Well, thanks for all those wonderful questions. Keep them coming in. I've got a mountain of questions, actually, um, seeing the last podcast episode was in I think it was in March of this year. Uh, main reason I um, stopped podcasting for a while there was, A, I lost my voice again, which is never good for a podcaster or uh, or somebody who um, talks on audio all the time, and B, I started our um, small business. So we started uh, Little Green Workshops, and I think I might have talked about this before, littlegreenworkshops.com.au, and we've got a whole bunch of cheese-making supplies over there, amongst um, many other things, it's a, more of a sustainable living, slant, simple living store, wholly online. And we run it from home, which is fantastic for both my wife and I. And, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun doing it, but it has been taking up a lot of our time. So I haven't been able to fit in um, cheese making podcasts um, here on Little Green Cheese. But, uh, yeah, that's going to change. So we're back into it again. Well thanks for listening everybody. You can find all of my cheese making recipes in my cheese ebook, Keep Calm and Make Cheese, The Beginner's Guide to Cheesemaking at Home. Now that's available in all ebook formats and further details can be found on the Cheese eBook tab of LittleGreenCheese.com. You can find all of my cheese making video tutorials on the site. Um, they're actually linked within the ebook as well. But I've created a new tab on the blog. Uh, and it says "Cheese Videos," and you can see a gallery of all of the cheese making videos there that will help you out with your cheese making endeavours. Thanks for listening, curd nerds, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Little Green Cheese Podcast. Now you can pick up supplies and equipment. If you live in Australia or New Zealand, over at littlegreenworkshops.com.au. During this podcast, you heard royalty-free music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, News Theme and Call to the Dairy Cows.